Hey everybody, the con artist here. We're hoping you had a uh, healthy fall 2021. Uh, we're here to talk about all of our sweet rolling review shows. Not our rolling review shows. We're here to talk about all the shows we watched in the core. Um, mixing up my podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, so we lost Brendan because uh, he chose no. goodbye, Brendan. Why did you choose to not watch anything? Honestly, he's probably smart. I should do that one season. Give myself a break. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right. yeah. but anyway, we have uh, just the three of us. So me, Sue, Scott. Hello. And Dan. Hey. Sweet deals. All right. So who wants to start us off for the fall? What would you guys watch? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. It's Visual Prison, everyone. Uh, which Scott, just is... from that title alone, it sounds like, like some arrogant novel or something. What, you what would is think that? so. What is that? But in fact, uh, it is, and here's the pitch, and all, all male vampire bands play visual K music in a battle of the bands for the judgment of the moon. That's literally what uh, I just said. That's a combination I mean, of words. <laughs> same <laughs> thing. Same thing, same thing. Uh, Absolutely. So I hadn't really heard of visual K music before now, but uh, it's sort of like the Japanese version of glam rock uh, that is like, like, Gokt and those kinds of guys that are basically there's like a vampire aesthetic that's already present in in the the genre and they're like but what if that was real uh so everyone's a vampire uh there's music every single episode all the music is really great like maybe i'm a visual k fan i guess we'll find out mm. um and it's got a good enough story about a newly made vampire getting his getting a band together and getting ready to compete in the battle of the bands plus a lot of uh like drama between bandmates uh there's also this i hesitate to call it a cat there's this animal which looks like a cross between a panda and a cat that has two tails whose name is panya and it's just like some guy and i think i think i forget who it is but it's someone who's like like a pretty talented voice actor voices this creature and it just goes panya and like that's it that's the only thing it says but it's it just brought it's him in amazing. and they were like Here's a bag of money. Say Panya into this microphone several times. Yeah. So it's like Alan Tudyk in every uh, like Disney CG animated thing where he's, you know, they hire Alan Tudyk of all people and he just plays like birds and pigs and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like there's only like it's just different, different uh, variations on the same word. So like, you know, aggressively it'll be like Panya. <laughs> it makes it it makes it very funny. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Uh, if there's anything I could say against it, uh, the world building, which was present, like more world building than I was really expecting there to be in a like music show, but there is world building that can feel a little odd. Like the vampires have traditional vampire powers. In addition to singing, there's like vampire hunters out there that hunt down vampires. There's a lot of stuff that isn't. Wait, so in between part... the battle of the bands, they have time for like a faux Van Helsing chasing them around. There's like a whole episode where like one of the people in the band, his like backstory is like, you know, he's been a vampire since like medieval Europe and there's hunters after him and stuff. Uh, and like he like when one of them like was a hunter at one point before being turned into a vampire. And it's like there's a lot going on here that isn't music. So like, thank goodness there is a song every episode, but like sort of the, the build up to the band actually being a band and playing music takes far longer than you would expect. Um, I still recommend it. It's good. Like the music's pretty good quality. Uh, there are three bands in the show that all have very different sounds. Uh, it's cool. 
unexpected. Neat. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely shocking. I mean, it's 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 not as good yeah. as battle rap anima, right? Like that... I don't. Yeah, this okay. isn't really reaching the levels of of insanity as uh, as Mike ba- Division Mike rap battle. It actually but... sounds like its problem is that it it tried to have a story, like a real background. Anima. Yeah, it tried like to have a story and like a lot of a lot of like development between the characters who are in the band, which is cool. But sometimes you just want to. You're just there for the music and like the crazy aesthetics. Really, I guess it depends on what you're in it for. That's true. Don't go in assuming it's going to be just Battle of the Bands all the time. Got it. Cool beans. All right. So, up next, changing gears pretty dramatically, uh, I watched uh, Comey Can't Communicate, which uh, came out on Netflix over the course of this past season, just wrapped up, uh, I think, last week. Um, And it's this uh, funny little show about um, basically this high schooler, Comey. She is, like, she's the queen of the school, like, or, as they put it, the goddess of the school, Um, to the point where, like, the student body actively worships her. She's, you know, she is beauty, she is grace, but she cannot say anything. She has, like, crippling social anxiety. So whenever she tries to speak to someone, she just kind of sits there, gets, like, full deer-in-headlights eyes, and vibrates. She can't, uh, she cannot form words. Um, Sounds kind of tragic. But at the same time, you know, the, the show introduces itself every episode with, like, you know, people who suffer from severe social anxiety cannot form connections, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to. And she desperately wants to be friends with all of these people. Not, like, just this, like, being that they worship, because this school is full of wackos. (laughs) Um, But, uh, this one guy, the most average-looking, like, potato dude, is there, and, like, stays late after class with her at one point, and, like, eventually kind of manages to form communication by, like, writing down... Uh, what she's saying uh, and she sort of explains her situation to him because he's the first person who's kind of like given her space to do so and throughout the rest of the show he continues to sort of act as her quasi interpreter and like her first friend so wait how does and how does he know what she's saying is he like telepathic or uh no it's more that he it, it, she will write things oh she'll, she'll write, write things, things down, down and he will be the first he, and he will be the one that uh that she usually shows it to if uh if, he, if he's, like, introducing her to new people, or he can kind of also pick up on her mannerisms after a while and at least kind of get the gist of what she's trying to say. Or so wants he's to a say. super potato. And, uh, yeah, he is, but he's actually a genuinely good guy. Like, he gives her the space she needs to, to uh, you know, to kind of get her, uh, you know, kind of get her bearings and communicate more effectively. He helps her, uh, you know, set up situations where she can practice in, like, low-stakes environments, going in and, like, ordering food and all sorts of other things. But that isn't really, like, while that is, in my, in my opinion, the heart of the show and is really charming, the rest of it is basically all about them finding the various wackadoos throughout the school or those wackadoos finding them and trying to become, like, friends or more with Comey because, like I said, everyone worships her. There are several characters who are trying to get with her throughout the uh, course of the show to varying levels of success and with varying levels of creepiness. And that's kind of where the show stumbles a little bit. It's fun. I found it entertaining. And uh, the relationship between Comey and uh, the main... I won't say the main character, but the uh, her male counterpart is uh, entertaining to watch. Um, but 
it relies very heavily on tropes, and there's only so much, like, winking and nodding you can do before you just say, like, look, guys, you're, you're still doing the trope. Just po- pointing at it and laughing doesn't necessarily mean that you're not just leaning into the exact same, like, weird, tiresome bull that, you know, drives some people away from high school anime anyway. Mm. So if you're not all right with dealing with a lot of the tropes of high school anime from, like, people who are overly competitive, weird, there's this one weird sports girl who describes everything in terms of heat and degrees. It's very strange. Wow. Uh, or the one girl with, uh, oh, geez, the Chinibio uh, character who is just just too much. But, uh, yeah, like, outside of those, you know, if you've got a tolerance for that, it's fine. Uh, every episode is, like, usually two or three vignettes of Komi trying to, like, you know, do something or get into a new situation where she has to figure out how to communicate. And, you know, your mileage will vary overall, uh, depending on how much tolerance you have for those kinds of other shenanigans. But at its heart, I think it's pretty fun. And uh, if you don't mind that sort of thing and you can kind of take it in doses, I really enjoy Just it. Just to give everyone, like, a visual in my head... Like, based on everything Dan just said, I have... Because I, I I did watch the little trailer, so I know at least what Comey and her, her friend looks like. But the rest of the school, I have this image of, like, someone with the eye patch over their eye being like, the black snake of my eye is trying to eat you, Comey. And on the other side, Heat Miser from the year without a Santa Claus. <laughs> yes. And so it's just like... You're not yes. as far off as you so might that's, think. So that's but... my visual, and I needed you all to know this. You're welcome. Amazing. There you go. Hopefully she gets a song yeah. number about, about heat and degrees. Yes, I, I certainly ah. hope so. There is a karaoke episode, but I don't think there's an actual dedicated musical episode. So Dan, this sounds like it's a little bit of a split. Are you on team recommend? Yeah, overall, I think I recommend it. Just kind of, you know, the first couple of episodes will definitely be enough for you to know if you'll be able to either overlook or enjoy the... Uh, shenanigans that are going on around our characters. If you can tolerate that, I think you're going to be totally fine. But it is not something I would recommend to someone who isn't already into anime as a high school anime, I should say, as a genre. Mm. Okay. All right. So yeah, tentative rent or conditional recommendation. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, nice. I'll take it next. It still deals with high school girls, but we'll take it into the magical girl realm. So uh, I watched Yuki Yuna is a hero, the great Monkai chapter. Um, so it's been a while, guys. Yuki Yuna came out in, I believe, 2014. And then its sequel prequel, which came out together, came out in 2017. So it's been quite a while since any Yuki Yuna came around. And, and just to, to recap, Yuki Yuna was... Probably the only uh, spiritual successor to uh, Madoka Magica in in the dark magical girl vein that I actually liked because it, it poured Ooh, effort into its I know it poured effort into its characters into its world and and I liked the direction that it went. Uh, that being said, this show was hot garbage. Oh, <laughs> just no. I'm just gonna throw it yeah, out there like right now. Yeah, so the 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 previous seasons of Yuki Yuna, they made sense where they all fell into a timeline. And this season made zero sense to me whatsoever. So first of all, we follow not just our our lead characters, in fact the ones we've come to to really love, 
those guys are around for maybe like an episode or two and get rapidly sidelined for Hmm. characters we've never met before. And then the show hops between them and characters from the way, way past an ancestor of one of the girls we've come to like and just bounces around between the two of them. So guys, I'm going to say something I've never said and I'm hoping I never say again. I desperately needed an exposition dump. Wow. I was literally sitting there the whole time going, where are we? Who are we dealing with? How does this fall into any timeline? Why is the tree still alive? Like, Things of that nature. That'll that'll make sense if you've seen the show. But none of it made any sense. I didn't understand where these mm. people fell in the timeline and what, how what they were doing affected anything. Only in the last two episodes, like two or three episodes, did I realize it's like tooth combed in between the sequel oh, show. It's like interspersed. It's Yeah, it's interspersed. It's like the B-plot of the sequel show to the original Yuki Yuna. And it's just bad. Like, none of these characters matter. None of their actions really hold weight. It it goes into territories that I hated about other successors to Madoka Magica, where it's just like, isn't this tragic? And I'm like, you've set up zero emotional interest in any of these people. No. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care that you're, you know, killing off magical girls. Like, you're... No. In general, the the show really doesn't have a purpose, and it doesn't introduce anything new or interesting. In fact, towards the last three episodes, it's interspersing scenes from the sequel. It just copy pastes scenes from the sequel to try and like put, help you understand where things are happening. And I was like, I am so done with this. I dragged my feet through the latter half. I don't recommend this at all. <laughs> it just wow, it doesn't... sounds kind of like. It like sounds like that actual like that side story to Madoka Magica you watched where it was like you couldn't tell where it was and what was the name of that thing like Lucky oh Owl my Water gosh. or something? Yes, yeah, Lucky Owl Water. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, Magia Record. That's the one. Yeah, it sounds a lot a tr- like Magia Record. Yes, it's really bad. I don't <clears throat> understand why they thought we needed anything like this. It it doesn't really help set up much else. None of the characters matter. Like. I do not recommend this at all. So I would I would stay away from this. I'm very unclear what they were trying to do after all this time, but it certainly didn't like push me into interest in more Yuki Yuna. Oh, that's a real shame. Yep, unfortunate. All right, I guess I'll pick it up from there with one that is uh, I did enjoy. It's uh, Let's Make a Mug Two Nibon Gamma, which is like second firing or something. And I, honestly, I'm going to start right off here with a con. How could you not name this show Let's Make a Mug 2 2? Like, come on, guys. It's terrible, terrible. But in terms of pros, uh, it's more Let's Make a Mug 2, which is good. The show is very enjoyable. Uh, it's slow slice of life, and it really makes you want to do pottery and visit, visit the city of Tajimi. So it's it's doing its, uh, its job there. Uh, felt that, like... Uh, like I was watching it with somebody who is like an artist and they said it does a really good job of showing the, the difficulties of the creative process, uh, which was really cool. Like it's not just everyone's good at making pottery forever. Uh, they do have their difficulties. Uh, it also has like a, this sort of season in particular had a theme about like the expectations put onto people by their parents and how that like makes things difficult or 
maybe inspires them or whatever. So it was interesting seeing the different characters kind of react to that. Uh, they also added a fun new character. So the main character's name of the show is Jimena. And they added a character named Jimena, spelled with an X, from Mexico, who shows up in Japan to <laughs> learn pottery because Tajimi's famous for pottery or whatever. But is she wearing and, uh, a sombrero and drinks tequila because that's the stereotype G Gundam taught me? You're right. Uh, I don't think she actually did either of those things. Uh, remarkably, oh, well, then like, forget it. Yeah, forget it. But, like, she actually talked in, like, I remember my high school Spanish to some degree, and, like, her Spanish was pretty okay. Like, it was more than just hola. Like, she did say a few sentences, which she would usually, but not always, repeat in Japanese, uh, you know, for the benefit of the audience. Uh, and, like, she made some really cool pottery. Like, they had a thing where, um, what was it? So, like, the tradition of leaving out a bowl of rice for the deceased in Japan. She's like, I like this idea, but I want to, rather than a bowl of rice, I'm going to make a super tiny, complete meal set out of ceramics so they can share in your meal with you as if it's at the table. Uh, and so she, like, makes this really cool, intricate, like, you know, Mexican-themed table setting. Uh, they go into detail on and I was like wow that's actually really cool like that's really nice that is really really uh, neat and if I remember was, anything from yeah. Coco uh, I think in, in Dia de los Muertos they do put out like entire meals for yeah for she was families. kind of mentioning like you know in Mexico like for your for my abuela we do something vaguely similar to this concept but like the concept of leaving food out but it's different so I'm gonna like adapt kind of merge both together uh, so it was, it was good. Like they did a really good job. There was actually kind of another fun episode where like Himena comes by and she's like, Hey, you guys know pottery better than I do. I need you to help me out, figure out this tool. Cause I don't know what it does. Uh, and like they spend the whole episode, like picking up different tools and explaining their uses. And they're like, this one's from Europe and we don't usually use it, but here's what it's used for. And here's this other like bizarre tool. Uh, so it was kind of, this, you know, they still have some, some pottery focus in there. Uh, which was cool. So, honestly, great season. No cons. I recommend it. If you like slow life stuff or you want to learn a little bit about pottery, like, this is a good one. That's super awesome. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And I love when shows do their homework like that. Like, you know, they care about pottery or they care about whatever little slice of life thing they're they're putting together. Yeah, this one definitely cares, you can tell. Yeah, but there's also, because there's a tendency in these kind of, you know, cute girls doing cute things style of shows to either hyper-focus on what's going on to the point where it is it is inaccessible to the layman, or it uh, focuses just on the girls, you on, mm -hmm. and ceases to be about, like, the thing that they ostensibly are there to do. Agreed. Yeah, I think the show f struck so a good fair. balance. Like, the characters do get development, but also the pottery can take center stage, and, like... I don't know what the mix is, but I think it's pretty balanced overall. Like, it's even better Excellent. so than in the first season. Like, the second season feels even better than the first one in terms of, like, a, I don't know, well well told. Very cool. Yeah. So, moving on from, you know, slow slice of life, working with pottery and traditional arts and all of that, we're going to uh, change it up and talk about the Demon Slayer Mugen Train arc. Because they don't make a bunch of pottery reason. and do cute stuff in Demon Slayer. What show have I been watching? No, well, depends on <laughs> depends on your depends on your characterization of cute, I guess. But uh, not much of that going on. 
Um, but the thing with uh, Demon Slayer is that they released the Mugen Train movie uh, earlier, and that was, you know, a big success in Japan and here as well, I think. And uh, this is essentially a re-release of that movie broken up into a short season along with an extra episode at the beginning for sort of additional context. Um, and there isn't really much to say about it. The first episode that sort of sets up the situation does so much better than the movie did. The movie really just kind of like, you know, kicks our heroes onto the train and tells them, here's your, it's like, here's the thing that's going on. There's a demon here, gotta figure it out. And that's pretty much it. So the initial episode that sort of sets up the stage for all of this and explains why they end up riding this train along with the, uh, one of the Hashira, the more powerful, like, elites of the Demon Slayer group that they're part of, uh, really does help contextualize it all. I mean, like the movie, it all looks pretty gorgeous. You know, the animation quality of this series has always been top-notch, um, especially when it comes to, like, the attacks and the, ma I won't call it, I guess I'd call it magical effects uh, of the various characters. And so that's a lot of fun. That being said, it is just the movie again, only broken up into bits this oh. time. If you haven't seen the movie, it's as good a way to see it as uh, I can recommend. Um, but uh, if you have seen the movie, really, you just need to watch the first episode and then you can watch the movie again if you have to. That's really about it. I think they mainly re-released it to sync up with the early release of the next season, which started in... December, as opposed to coming out this uh, month, like most things in the winter 2022 core. But Dan, hmm. did this do a better job of like characterizing the villain and stuff? I remember your review of the movie and, you know, the villain wasn't well realized and, it, you know, obviously like any anime movie, some chunks of it were rushed. So do you really recommend this one over the movie? Eh, no, really, honestly, I think the first episode is in many ways better than the movie. Um... I feel like it, again, it provides more context to the character that uh, we're supposed to care about throughout the whole run of the movie or the series, but at least from watching the uh, rest of the episodes, there's no additional context to the villain, so he still feels really, really weak, um, and the, uh, I guess just all of the same flaws are still present uh, as they were in the movie, so I don't think I'd necessarily recommend it other than, you know, if you haven't already seen the movie. I think the only thing, again, is that it puts it into slightly better continuity with the series, because it provides a little bit of a bridge between the end of the first major arc and this sort of in-between arc that sets up season two. I think it's season two. I can never remember what season we're technically on with this show. Okay, but it's not about cute girls making pottery, so two out of five is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Good Good stuff. Excellent. All right. Uh, I guess I'll pick it up from there. Uh, I watched uh, Heike Monogatari, which is like the tale of the Heike. So this is, it's like a, sort of like an epic tragedy story that already exists in Japan outside of this anime and has been uh, sort of told in multiple different formats, and this anime is the the latest, I guess, retelling of this this epic tale. Uh, and I think for me, this was like show of the season. Uh, gorgeous animation, even prettier backgrounds. I mean, they really knocked it out of the park on making this thing look good. Uh, the story is really well told. I mean, which you'd expect from a, a tale that's been sort of refined over centuries. 
Um, and I felt that it also had a, a good way of like contrasting the human tragedy on display with natural beauty uh, in a way that really like highlighted how ugly warfare is and can be. So, I don't know, really well made. Uh, Sue, you watched this too, right? I am absolutely in love with this show. Like, it's it's phenomenal. So first of all, just to throw it out there, the studio that makes this is Science Saru, who also did Azoken. So mm. if you remember me raving oh, wow. about Azoken, this is the same studio. Um, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing show that, you know, gives you the history of the Heike, uh like Scott described, it's just stunning to look at. Like it has almost this, I don't really know. It's not watercolor, but like watercolor mixed yeah. with pastel, the backgrounds, the. Yeah. The backgrounds. Really, sure. I don't know what to call it either, but that's a good, that's a good description. Yeah. It looks, looks really beautiful. And it's a story is just so moving, you know, like if, if, mm. um, if you guys follow us on the website, we put up the color awards and, you know, I meant every word I said when I gave this, it's award. I really am not interested in history. Close your ears, Dan. Don't cry. I, I just, it, it didn't yeah. appeal to me in high school because it really was just memorize these facts, get an A on the test and move on with your life. And, you know, this was so incredibly moving. I was so attached to everybody. The tragedy that plays out, like really had meaning. And it was like, just one of those things I wish was done more often. Like, tell me this amazing story. Teach me some history like this. Because history is really, it's made by real people, right? It's its uh, the story of, of real humans. And so I think it felt very moving. And I loved every minute of it. Highly, highly recommended. Mm. Definitely highly recommended. In fact, the only thing I would say against it at all is... It is a historical epic, which means everyone is is historically named, and no one is color coded for your convenience. One hundred percent, yes. Oh no. It's it's quite confusing in terms of like keeping track of family names, who is oh, allied yeah. with who, who is betraying who, and just movement. Sometimes I remember Scott. I got confused by the setting at times. I was like, wait, we were here. We moved the capital there. We oh moved yeah, like the every episode, there seems like there's a jump. And like someone will be like, oh, we did this thing. And we're like, where was that again? You know? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, people will just keep referencing things or referencing people. And it, it gets confusing pretty quick. So you have yeah, to like keep you, track. You know, I give, uh, I, I give um, My Hero Academia grief whenever they keep flashing up characters' names the first time they're introduced in a episode, as if we haven't seen these characters the hundreds of times up until, you know, this point in season five or whatever we're on. But it feels like this would be a show that would benefit from that, just having a little name tag pop up whenever a character is reintroduced for the first time in the episode. I, up to a point, I think that would certainly be good. Like, there are five characters, I think, in the show whose, aims, whose names end in Mori, because they're, like, part of that mm. particular group. And you're like... You've never known how bad you wanted people to have different colored hair. I I think what really needed to happen was there needed to be a PDF of the bloodlines that I could print out and cool. look at uh, and be like, okay, you're part of this one. All right, all right. I know what's going on, kind of. Definitely. Like, there's a point in the middle where it's like, ah, yes, the uh, the long, tall Japanese woman that has the black hair. I know who that is. It's definitely not the other <laughs> two characters that look almost identical and are also dressed the same. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It's an amazing story. If you can uh, get past that or like 
just kind of feel out from context who it is. Yes, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Definitely the show of the season. Really, uh, really upset. I didn't, uh, I didn't follow through on this when uh, it was first coming out, but I'll have to go back and check it out because it definitely seems right up my alley. Oh, it's, it's good. Yeah, look forward to it. All right, I'll take over with uh, Suki Tulaika Tanasferatu. Um, so this show is about the country of, jeez, what is it called? Like Zestria or something? And like Not Russia? Not Russia. Yeah, right, exactly. It's basically not Russia uh, going through the space race. Uh, except with vampires in it. Which is like, what a twist. <laughs> I know, right. Shocker. Shocker. So vampires are real, and uh, not Russia is trying to send a person into space during the Cold War. And to test out their spaceship, they pseudo-abduct this vampire girl and use her as the test subject to send her up in the, the first spacecraft. Because they're like, well, if you die, you know, no one will care and we can just cover it up or whatever. But, you know, we don't want to send. We've sent up a bunch of dogs, but we want to make sure this is fit for a human and vampires have pretty similar characteristics to, to humans. And it sounds like they, do, they don't hold vampires in high regard, I'm guessing. No, they don't. I mean, you can think of it like any other treatment of, of a minority group. Uh, it's pretty, pretty similar. They... Uh, I think it was it's implied that not Russia tried to like genocide the vampires a little bit uh in in one of the towns that that this girl is from but it's never fully explained which I'll get to a little later which is is one definitely one of the cons of of the show uh but this uh the girl is I I say pseudo abducted because Irina the vampire is is kind of here by choice so vampires worship the moon in this show, and uh, Irina's whole deal is she's like, I'm thrilled to be your test subject because it means I get to go into space before any human, and I get to be close to the moon before you humans start putting up your other space gadgets and trying to land there. I get to see it in its purest form before mm. humans try and touch it. And, you know, the whole show just harkens back to a time when space travel was this mystical romantic thing that we were all trying to achieve right it seemed so far away and, and so extraordinary and i really i really like that like i love the idea of you know that time when science was being used to achieve something that was absolutely extraordinary um as an engineer i mostly just stare at excel all day but <laughs> in in my mind i i chose to be one because i thought you know i would be doing things that we're kind of like this, like being a, a small part of something, something great. This show is strangely procedural. <laughs> I think if you watch it in episode one, uh, you're, you're kind of under the assumption that it's going to be, I don't even know what to say, like kind of a pseudo romance with these two lead characters and just not really hijinks, but like drama ensues as she tries to go into space. It's really not. Like every episode is, yeah, she gets kind of uh, harassed by some of the other candidates and especially the, the doctor who runs the centrifuge lab. But 
the rest of it is just her prepping. The first half is just Irina genuinely prepping to be a cosmonaut and go into space. And she does, and it's a real achievement. So when it happens, it's really beautiful. Uh, the second half is her caretaker, Lev, uh, getting chosen to go into space as as the first human. And kind of where it, it just takes it like that. That's how the show is, is split up. Hmm. Um, I really liked it, but I also think it's, it's very dry in certain parts. Irina is absolutely Sundere, and <laughs> that was a little tough to get into because, you know, she and Lev clearly have a thing, uh, but Lev is a little too perfect. Like, he's kind of perfect potato, and mm. just, like, everything he does, like, is right and everything he says is good and he always stands on the side of the motherland but is still also a really genuine guy and i think that the lowest point was there's one female candidate when they're trying to pick the human cosmonauts in the second half and she's like the ice queen of the group and at one point she spins out when they're doing parachute training and lev like dives and saves her and then she meets him later and she just like starts crying. She's like, everybody thinks that I'm like the ice queen, but really it's because it was hard to make friends in the air force because I'm a woman. And you know, you're the first person who's like treated me nicely, even though I'm kind of mean. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like I don't have nearly <laughs> enough background on you <laughs> to care, but also like, what is this high school drama? Get out of here. Yeah. I was like, what a, come on now. And she, like, never comes up again. So it was just this bizarre scene where I was like, they, I, they just needed me to know that Lev is the most beautiful man on the earth. <laughs> on, on not Russia. And, uh, yeah. So, I guess just the... It's a really nice show when it's focusing on getting into space, the science associated with it, and just the romance of wanting to leave the earth and and be in space. You know, we are living through a time when... People are going on, I guess, there's no other way, commercial-esque spaceflight journeys. And I think it's a really life-changing event. So the journey to get there, how it, how it plays out when she's in space, and everything associated with that, really good. Everything associated with vampirism and sort of the racial inequality that goes into it not so great like they don't really hmm. expound upon kind of why her village was attacked in the first place outside of you know vampires or these disgusting minorities that they think of but then the end episode desperately tries to like cram in acceptance of racial equality even so much as hinting that stuff that Lev and Arena do in that final episode pushes forward to a point where vampires and humans end up in the ISS together. Like that there's a flash to that. And it flash was just forward, it was, kind of Yeah, it was flash forward. It was just too fast. It was not well set up and it felt kind of like why? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, put a bow on this for no reason. Exactly, exactly. Let's just tie this up. Let's make it pretty. And I was like, this whole show felt almost military procedural esque. You guys needed to have interspersed this a little better if if that was your end game goal. Mm. Um, but overall, I'm kind of in a weird position uh, of recommending. I would say if anything I said sounded interesting, or if you try maybe the first three episodes, I would recommend. 
if those interest you, I would say you're good to go for the rest of it. If those are like, wow, this is kind of boring and I'm not really not feeling it, that's the show. So just at that point, I would back out. So maybe give it a three episode test and, and try it. But it's it's different than what you would think. Hmm. Interesting. All righty. Uh, well, to, to change things up completely, uh, sort of the second half of uh, The Great Jahi Will Not Be Defeated uh, is another show I watched. So I won't go into too much detail. It's the same show as it was last season with, uh, you know, Jahi, the disgraced former second-in-command of the Dark Realm, living in the human world and trying to make ends meet. Uh, so it's that stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's the conclusion, so things proceed to a heartwarming conclusion, as one might expect. Uh, it's still fun, and uh, you know the the humor is still there. But now there's the power of friendship as well. Ah. Oh, conclude. So it's uh, done. Done. You can watch it and be it's, done. It's done. Uh, like we've we've come to a good conclusion point. Uh, the only thing to really say against it, the ending felt a little rushed. But like you were never really in it for the plot, which was more like an afterthought to tie things up than it was like a thing you were worried about. Like it's mostly the sort of vignette humor but uh even so the ending wasn't bad uh, it was nice to nice to see it and have a good like well, heartwarming moment so i don't know good show enjoyable uh honestly there's not too much more to say uh you'll know pretty quickly if this is a show you want to watch or you heard me last season talk about it I suppose if you're in it for the schadenfreude of watching someone get their comeuppance so every time rapidly immediately. Well, like I said, in the second half, or as things were sort of progressing, more more friendship and more, uh, I don't know, you know, she's sort of softening, and as a result, like, her comeuppance happens less frequently. Karma isn't quite as harsh. Right. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of, like, villains and other realms and all that kind of stuff, uh, surprisingly, at some point in this past season... Uh, they tossed out a single-episode OVA of My Next Life as a Villainess, um, which is a show that I think a couple of us watched. I don't remember if everyone made it through the second season, which I... I, don't know, I think I you were all alone in the weird. second season. Yeah, I, d- I did not watch yeah, the second season. Yeah. It was definitely weirder than the first, and so I can't really blame you, but uh, the OVA is sort of in just a... Again, it's a one-episode thing that sort of takes the um, perspectives of the other characters around the main character who are all, you know, courting her or, you know, have affections for her in different ways and sort of contextualizes how they met and explains sort of their thought process uh, during the earliest points in meeting with them. So it doesn't necessarily give you any new information, but it helps clarify sort of how... uh, these folks see her and why they are so attached to her outside of, you know, the current shenanigans and growing up that they're all doing. This is from when they were, you know, like grade school aged and first uh, encountering her and how she sort of helped, uh, you know, help cheer them up or give them, you know, the friendship and connection that they didn't have at home or whatever was going on in their lives. So it's actually pretty heartwarming. I mean, it's a little thing and it's, you know, not... uh, like I said, it's not really much new information, but it was a nice little reminder of what sort of got the show going in the first place. And so I appreciate it for that. If you've seen the show, definitely worth a watch. If not, then, you know, obviously it's not going to 
do anything for you, but I still recommend at least the first season, and this would be a nice little, like, kind of bookend to that if you're interested. Oh, nice. All right, so sort of, like, redo how everyone met and go into more detail. Exactly, yeah. Just a little bit more uh, expansion on some of that stuff and sort of kind of clarifying it all for you in one place. Sort of a, it's a background exposition episode, but it's entertaining enough as it is. It sounds really cute. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Well, uh, staying with the the fantasy theme, uh, I saw the Faraway Paladin, which... As did I. No, nice, yeah, we'll have a little discussion here. Uh, So it's an isekai. Uh, Honestly, I felt for most of the show that it didn't really need to be an isekai, but it is. Uh, I would say it's unusual in that it's, like, it's very sort of thoughtful and focuses on the feelings and thoughts of the main character a lot more than really most other shows in the isekai genre. Uh, and also it had some pretty interesting world building. It's like a recovering fantasy post-apocalypse kind of scenario. Uh, and like the main character is sort of trying to help civilization sort of re-expand out to the outer reaches. Uh, it's also pretty rare in the isekai genre to not have fan service. And other than like one kind of gross moment early on in the show, there's pretty much no fan service in the show. Uh, which, like I said, very rare. Uh, what were your thoughts, Dan? Overall, like, I agree with you. I think it was a very interesting setup. The isekai stuff is completely unnecessary, so frankly, I think they should have just jettisoned that and made its own thing, but because this is either based off of, like, a late novel or whatever, I think they're contractually obligated to include it. But uh, outside of that, you're right, the setup and sort of dealing with how the hero, big uh, in capitals, becomes the hero, because this guy is by the end of the first act of the uh, show is completely overpowered compared to everything else around him. He is, he is a paladin. He is a high level paladin in a world of like level one fighters and how he becomes that strong and how he addresses that are, you know, big focuses of the show. And I do appreciate that they put a lot of uh, focus on his thought process and kind of him figuring out his place in this world as someone who really stands apart At the same time, I feel like they fall into the trap of relying heavily on his inner monologue. (laughs) And it is like, I don't need to know every single thought that goes through this kid's head. He is not interesting enough for me to want to know his every innermost thought process. He is a nice dude trying to do his best with way too much power. And it kind of got grating after a while for me, honestly, having to constantly listen to him justify or explain things that I can see with my own two eyes. That having been said, I think that uh, the core through line of this guy trying to sort of bring hope and help to a world that is flawed, but not inherently like awful, uh, was really cool. Um, And I really like that they focused on that i just feel like they dragged out this this first season maybe a little too far in the hopes of setting up more in a way that the ending of this feels kind of perfunctory of this particular season not bad necessarily just kind of mediocre compared to where it started would be the way i describe it mm, okay yeah i could see that yeah i agree like they could, it's it's good that he explores his feelings but also it can really bog uh the plot down if they like take too long at it, which they occasionally do. You'll be like, all right, I got it. Have him do something, please. 
So as a result, yeah. the show in general is sort of glacial uh, in its pace. Very much so. I do also wish that they had time to, and I think that this is just a limitation of the production. It probably does not have the budget or the resources that some more uh, illustrious stuff does, where like the 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 backgrounds, the environments, like they're fine. They're all yeah, but they're sort of pedestrian. They're, they're they're fine. They're very basic, and it doesn't. Like the you know the the CG monsters all have that ugly like filter put over them to try and kind of blend them into the background a little bit better and it just it doesn't it doesn't look as nice as I feel it should if it were if the if the production values were of higher quality I feel like we would you know also be more willing to kind of overlook some of the storytelling I won't say flaws but the storytelling choices that I don't personally uh, I don't personally agree with would go down a little bit easier if it were nicer to look at. But unfortunately, I think they just don't quite have the resources to pull that off. And it makes the whole thing feel, I think that also kind of helps uh, or doesn't help, but exacerbates the issues of it feeling a bit slow and basic outside of the interesting structure of the overall story. Hmm. Yeah. Ultimately in the end, like, honestly, I don't know if I'd recommend it. I'm going to go with like, no, I wouldn't like it's it's too slow and I don't know there's not enough that's like new here even as as interesting as the world building is for me to be like yeah you should totally sit down for six hours and watch this I'd agree yeah not uh not really recommend it it's fine it's okay it's not a waste of time but it doesn't uh it, do, it doesn't give me any reason to say go out and see it yeah just to, to comment on the meta really quick, uh, this show was getting a lot of flack because it was being compared to another show I don't know if you guys have heard of called Jobless Reincarnation. And mm. that show has a hyper skeevy main character. It's very similar. Basically this, <clears throat> this like, not Hikikimori, but like he was he was basically a creeper, this 30-year-old like super otaku. He dies, he gets reincarnated into this fantasy world, but... So he's in the mind of like an infant, but he's, or body of an infant, but he's got the mind of a skeevy 30 year old guy and just all of his inner monologue, which carries you through the story is super creepy. And on top of that, it has really high production values. So I think this, this show was getting a lot of flack for that against that, but a lot of the stuff you guys mentioned was actually the reasoning. And I, I got really nervous, you know, knowing nothing about either of these shows, but I was like, I really hope this doesn't mean Japan just shies away from making really good fantasy shows. And instead is like, Oh, what the people want is like the creeper factor. It's like, no, that's not what makes a good fantasy show. Like you can still do these kinds of things. It just sounds like you needed better pacing and world building and of course, higher production values always help. Yeah, like yeah. I know I didn't watch Jobless Guy because like the description kind of put me off, but I have heard that it is the hot thing right now. <laughs> cool. So cool. presumably Japan will take the wrong lesson from it. Of course. Yeah, as always. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll jump in with uh, My Hero Academia, World Heroes Mission, which was a movie. Um. So I think I'll just go through this kind of quick. Basically, the, the general plot is that the heroes are called to uh, different parts of the world. And they're all there to look out for various things. And there's this cult uh, that 
is trying to effectively wipe out quirks because it kind of believes it's like the scourge of humanity. You know, insert like religion bashing here. So uh, this movie is the weakest of all the My Hero movies. It leans, you know, in general, I, I think MHA is really leaning way too hard into its shonen label. And this is no exception. Uh, this movie leans even harder into that because the entire movie is just about the Husbando boys. That's Midoriya, Todoroki, and Bakugo. Everybody else is completely and utterly irrelevant. Like, the movie starts by kind of flashing them all on screen and showing where they are in the world. This never matters, ever. Like, no one else has any character time, screen time, sorry, and, and does anything. So forget it. That whole part just felt nonsensical, and I didn't even need it. Um, it's just about the boys, and it's just about them running around uh, trying to defeat this, this cult leader. Plot-wise, I'm going to complain about it doing exactly what I complained about in Season 5. It squanders an incredibly interesting idea. You've got this cult villain who has this effectively religious cult, and he believes that having a quirk is akin to a sin. He's like, original humanity with no quirks was pure, and all of us having quirks now makes us like incapable of actually having real in human interactions. You know, it muddies us as people. And instead of, you know, exploring that topic and diving deeper into this really interesting world building that I've come to love with MHA, it just devolves into a giant ass punching match between oh. Midoriya and that, that final villain. And, you know, Bakugo duking it out with other villains. Like, the very classic setup of, like, they're running down a hallway and Bakugo gets knocked out by two villains and he's like, you guys keep going, I'll take on these two, right? And, like, in the end, it's only Midoriya who makes it to the final boss and then you get cuts. Again. Right, you get cuts between all three boys duking it out with other people and just, just nonsense, absolute nonsense. So what I want to end with is telling a story of there was, you know, whenever I go to these anime movies in the theater, there's like five people, right? And mm -hmm. one one group was a husband, wife, and their their son. And at the end of the movie, because like they duke it out, right? Like hardcore. Midori is like sliced to pieces here. And he's like starts laughing with this other character. He's like, ha ha ha, like we made it. The power of friendship made it. And this little kid is like, What's up with this ending? Midoriya got punched to smithereens. How come he's <laughs> laughing? This ending doesn't make any sense. And I was like thinking to myself, I was like, wow, you Japan, him. you've done such a crappy job with this movie that your target audience is confused. <laughs> your target audience is small boys. And this little guy is like, WTF is going on in this movie. So... <laughs> Tone down the maybe punching all the stuff and tone up the world building, which made uh, the previous season so special and why I got into the show in the first place. So yeah, it's it's definitely the weakest of all the movies. I do not recommend it. I mean, if you're in onto MAJ and it's free somewhere and you want to throw it on, fine. But it's it's a mostly waste of your time. Despite mm. looking pretty, it, it doesn't do much else. It adds zero to the uh, actual storyline of MHA. So I would skip it. Sounds like a pretty strong skip.
Yeah, that's unfortunate. I don't know, that whole franchise has sort of started to lose steam for me, and uh, kind of glad I skipped this movie, because the first one that I saw was not particularly engaging, because it all has to happen in this kind of pocket universe where it can't possibly affect the main uh, the main plot line at all. And they can't do it like the movie, they can't do it like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, like uh, uh, Demon Slayer does it, where they just release the uh, movie as part of the official series then later on. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate, but uh, thinking of things that have gone uh, on for several seasons as well, to wrap us up, uh, I caught Agretzko Season 4, which all popped up in the middle of December, uh, which is, you know, a show that we've uh, followed, a few of us have followed uh, here for a while now, you know, about this, uh, you know, basically these Hello Kitty side characters uh, working office jobs, and uh, one of them sort of soothing her uh, frustrations using death metal. And it is, uh, it, it definitely, the death metal stuff definitely takes a, a backseat in this one. It's more about uh, things that are going on with their company. There's a new president and his methods are suspicious. And, uh, dun, dun, dun. you know, some things are going well, but other characters are getting shafted. And it feels way too familiar if you've ever worked any kind of... Uh, any, I guess, really any kind of low-level um, office or service job, seeing, uh, you know, people get uh, sidelined and people get promoted for, you know, reasons that you have absolutely no clarity on, only to discover later on that there's, like, you know, shenanigans about. And, uh, you know, it has a, it has plenty of, uh, plenty of that. You know, the characterization is still there that was really enjoyable, and you get a lot more depth to some of the characters than you would have expected that had previously only kind of been there as foils for others or uh, as kind of like comedic, uh, you know, punching bags. But um, they uh, they expand a lot in that. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that the whole thing holds up to scrutiny. The plot itself is kind of weak overall, but it does set us in set us up with uh, situations where characters actually have to finally confront their feelings about each other and how they actually deal with one another rather than being wishy-washy about it like they have been for the last several seasons. So I appreciate that. It actually, you know, gave some momentum to some of the characters and uh, they actually had to, you know, decide what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. So if nothing else, uh, it gave a lot of opportunities for those characters that have, you know, sort of made the show so enjoyable to shine at the end there. Oh, nice. That's yeah. good. I mean, really to hurt. catch back up on Agretzko. I, I kind of yeah. fell off the map after, I think I've only done season two. I don't think I've even seen three, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's as good as the, it's as good as the first couple, but it's still, uh, it's still entertaining and definitely worth the watch if you get the opportunity. Plus, you know, the, there are definitely some, uh, there are definitely some funny moments. Uh, the character of Fennec is still as uh, hilarious and scheming as ever. Fennec go for life. Like, she's the Fennec best. Yes. She's beautiful. Yeah, she is She is delightful. Yeah, uh, but that's about it for me. Um, unless we've got anything else, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this uh, past season. Yeah, sounds like a good season. Yeah, yeah overall. I think it was. Good. I did. I, mm -hmm. I was a very mixed bag, but I think you guys did slightly yeah. better. That's true. You had Yuki Yuno over there, which sounds like, nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I got lucky, and even the stuff I wouldn't recommend, I still think was fine. So I don't feel like it was wasted time. It was at least interesting in the moment. 
Hmm, good. Good stuff. Well, then, we'll sort of see what we pick next season. It's true. Yeah. Join us again in the winter. See you next time. See ya. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.